1: This morning we're going to be in Luke 5, starting with verse 27. And the last time, the parable or the sermon was titled, Intro to the Parables. Um, This is, if you're not familiar with the parables, if you're new to the faith, if you maybe never really understood the parables, uh, definitely get that free off the web because it gives you a foundation of what Jesus was trying to do with the parables. We used the light one last time, we talked about salt and light, and this morning the sermon title is Keeping It Fresh. And we're just going to look at when Jesus came. See, we have 2,000 years of Christianity to fall back on. We understand. We can look back retrospectively. There's commentaries. There's archaeological finds. There's all kinds of stuff that we can look at and understand our faith even better. But when Christ first came to the earth, there was, um, people didn't understand. God was doing a new work. And really, this keeping it fresh title was precipitated by the conversion, if you will, of Levi to the disciple Matthew and we'll look at that. Uh, Jesus uses four illustrations to convey this spiritual truth of the new work that God was doing through the Messiah in the first century and as the four spiritual truths are, uh, he looks at himself as a physician, spiritual physician, he looks at himself as a bridegroom. We also see the parable of the uh, ripped clothing and the patch and also the wineskins. Now, you know what I think is really great when you study the Bible And then you just look at religion and you say, well, what measures up and what doesn't? Why are there so so many schisms in religion? Why do people do things so differently? Well, I'll tell you what, this is supposed to be our foundation. So when we go back to this foundation, we have an idea of why things happen and we can choose to worship at a place that follows what Christ established more closely versus something that's way off there out on the fringes, and I I may give examples here and there. So we're going to look at also uh, keeping it fresh in ministry and also in our personal ministry with others. So let's check this out. Luke 5.27, I'll go through the, the passage, and then I'll break it down. It says, After these things he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them, but their scribes and the Pharisees. Now these are the religious leaders. Here comes question number one, or challenge number one. They murmured, they grumbled against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now we're going to go to illustration one. Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Question number two, or challenge number two. Then they said to him, Well, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees but yours eat and drink? Illustration two. Jesus said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. Illustration three. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And illustration four. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst, and wineskins, uh, and they they will be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new. For he says, the old is better. Now we're going to find that, of course, Jesus is the Son of God. He has the mind of God. He's the creator. And as we get into this, we'll see how masterful he was in taking simple images that the people could see every day and convey or bring them to show them a spiritual truth that they didn't quite understand. So he used the physical to help them to understand the spiritual So Levi is a tax collector, and he follows Christ. Well, we can look at his background. His name is Levi. If you were a Roman kid or a Greek kid, you wouldn't name your kid Levi. Levi was a very special name that the Jews had for their boys, and many times they came from the line of Levi. So we can surmise that Matthew was a, a nice Jewish boy growing up, and he became a prodigal. He starts hanging out with the Romans. He sees dollar signs in his eyes. He leaves his faith to join the Romans who were an enemy of the Jews. They were also tax collectors known for their extortion. They would take the money that they would take for Rome and they'd take a little extra for themselves. They were rip-off artists. And he becomes really what we would understand as a traitor. However, look at this conversion. It says he left all. This I, I, I find a remarkable sacrifice. Does this mean that when you become a Christian that you have to quit your job? No. But if your job is not a good job, if you're breaking thumbs for the mob, you might want to consider leaving your job. It's not really edifying. So Matthew has this job, and it's not a good job. I mean, it's wealthy, he makes some money, but he's he's an extortionist. The Bible says that he leaves all, he leaves it to follow Jesus. There's a lot to that, folks. What's he gonna do for a living now? Who's gonna pay his health benefits? You know what I'm saying? Right, But he just saw Christ and he knew that it was time and he knew that he had to leave that old life. Pretty powerful. Now this could have been a hot potato for Jesus. Why? Well, who probably hated tax collectors? Who probably hated Levi? Fellow Jews, you're a traitor. Definitely the Jewish leadership. And you know what? I'm going to guess that a few of his disciples weren't really happy that Jesus calls this guy. Him? We're fishermen. I mean, we, you know, but him, he's a tax collector. But Jesus welcomes him and even changes his name to Matthew. For those of you that are not very familiar with the Bible, the bell, ding, 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 you know, he becomes one of the disciples. And Jesus really gives him a new spiritual identity. And, brothers and sisters, there's going to be people that God puts in our path that are going to cause us stress. <laughs> I hear a lot of noises. (laughs) It's going to cause controversy. Um, You know, you may reach out to somebody. And it may be a hot potato. Uh, Sometimes we reach out to people, we lead them to the Lord, and some things happen and they bite. And when they bite us, it hurts. Sometimes we say, why why bother? Let me give you the answer. Because it's what we do. Because nobody is outside of the realm of possibly being saved. And when we look out at humanity, there's really nobody we can look at and say, but not that person. You see what I'm saying? Levi was that person. And maybe to some of the disciples, he was, no, no, no. He, he's talking to him, he's, he's calling him. What's he doing, Peter? I don't know, but I'm going to say something, you know? Just a little conjecture there. But Matthew or Levi was that person. However, let's look at Levi. And I find this sometimes, that those who are the biggest sinners, when they get saved, have the greatest appreciation for God. Jesus says that. He who's forgiven love much, loves much. Levi was so appreciative of his newfound faith, what does he do? The fact that God would actually consider saving him. He throws a big party, and who does he invite? A whole bunch of tax collectors. (laughs) And sinners, Matthew 9 says. So there's this whole cadre of sinners that comes to this big party that Matthew throws. I'm going to interchange Matthew and Levi, just the same person. It's because he's just so excited, and he wants everybody he knows to be saved as well. You've got to love that zeal. And I've got to be honest with you, when, you know, when I got saved, and I was to the point, let's see, he's, he's in the back somewhere, one of my coworkers. <laughs> I annoyed people. But but I just didn't know. I had all this zeal and love, and I didn't know what to do with it. I wanted everybody to come to church. I wanted everybody to come to Jesus. To the point where people who loved me sometimes would say, can we not talk about that today? So, But I got better. I got a little bit more patient. I wasn't like a puppy jumping on your leg all the time. You know, I just was a little more tactful about the whole thing. But this is what happens. You get saved. You want everybody in your life to be saved too. And here's, here's a little encouragement for those of you who are here this morning that were dragged to come here cajoled annoyed to the point where you don't want to hear it anymore somebody promised to buy you breakfast or lunch maybe lunch to make sure you actually show up and then they'll feed you um if that's you this morning the person that tried to get you here let me be the peacemaker they love you they want you to be saved it's that simple it's just the way it works Hey, I'll let you know, a little secret. Even people that I don't particularly care for, I don't like. Yeah, there are some that people that I don't really like. I want to see them get saved too. That's how powerful salvation is. That, you know, and probably if they got saved, the relationship would be better. You have something in common now. You know, look at the bright side of everything, silver lining. But it's true. That's how powerful salvation is. And when you're, it's, You don't really understand it until you're on this side. And then you want everybody to cross the line and come over to where you are. It's very exciting. I love this because it's just so. Listen, this was written 2,000 years ago. You could look out today in our communities and see the same thing play out every day in Christians' lives. Very exciting. Verse 30. But their scribes and the Pharisees, this is the religious establishment, right? They were wealthy, they were politically collect, uh, connected. So as we start to see the, the heart of these people, You know, their power base was being threatened, and we don't see that today. But the scribes and the Pharisees murmured against the disciples, against Christ's disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered. I love that. Jesus, he could hear a whisper, he could read somebody's thoughts, and he would answer a lot of times when he wasn't asked something directly. I love that about our Lord. That should have tipped them off early on. Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But the religious leaders criticized. And you know what? It happens today too. Um, what are you reaching out to that person for? You know, again, that person. You know, uh, we we kind of stay away from that person or that group. There is no group for us to stay away from. Uh, I'll speak in generalities. Um, I had a professional relationship with a person and just this person came into my path. So I just kept, you know, gently and lovingly trying to share the gospel. And at one point, she turned to me and she said, those of us in the LGBT community think that the church hates us. I said, that's unfortunate because Jesus came for everybody. And it was really cool because... I was able to be a bridge to something that she wasn't used to, you know, and she understood now the love of Christ. Let me just remind everyone that religious people are sinners too, but they don't always see themselves that way. They don't always act that way. We're all sinners. We're all flawed. We're all fallen. And it's really not for us to point fingers at somebody else and say, well, I'm better than that person. I still need Jesus, I still need to repent. It's just the way it's going to be until I'm fully completed, till the full redemption takes place. Now, a caveat to this is that this doesn't mean to just now jump headlong into a situation that you're not spiritually prepared to handle. So there's, a, you know, there's caution, and I always try to present the whole picture here. Jesus was God. He could have jumped into a group of anybody, and they weren't going to get him to sin. They weren't going to tempt him. He was God. You know, disciples, what did he do? He sent them out two by two for accountability. Smart, smart. Because as men and women, we're flawed. We, we don't have what Jesus has. I mean, we can say no to each sin as it comes up, but the, the mathematical statistical probability says that we are, we're going to fail some of those times. And some of those times could be big ones. So just to give you a quick example, you know, the, and a, the key word is loan. The lone minister, and I've heard this that goes to minister to the prostitutes. Do prostitutes need ministering to? Absolutely. Key word is loan. You know what I'm saying? And even Jesus didn't go into the brothels. He did minister to prostitutes. So, so let's look at this whole picture very balanced. I've ministered to, in my career as a Christian, or my calling as a believer, maybe a dozen prostitutes here and there over the years. It's come into my path. And uh, but I never went to a brothel, and I always had somebody with me. You see what I'm saying? Because our own hearts are wicked. We can't trust our own selves sometimes. So you, everything has to be tempered with balance. Right? So don't jump into spiritual system, uh, situations you're not prepared to handle. Again, the word is dynamic influence, like two sermons ago. Are we making a positive influence on other people? Or are we finding ourselves in any period of time being neg- negatively influenced by those around us? And that's what we have to look at. If we're being influenced negatively, then we have to see where we are and say, I need to either make some changes or I need to back out and you know, get with the Lord and maybe re-engage another time. So all these things have to be taken into account. What, what did Jesus do? What does God do? They hated the sin, but they loved the sinner. I know it becomes very cliche today, but Jesus knew how to differentiate between the two. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Now, we don't have to agree with people do, with what they do in their lifestyles. We don't have to partake with what they do in their sinful lifestyles, but we do have to love them. And sometimes that's a hard lying to walk isn't it you've experienced it if you've been a believer for a while it's not an easy thing to do but god doesn't call us to do easy things he calls us to do the right thing so the first illustration jesus used was liking likening himself to a spiritual physician and what's the disease that the physician needs to heal is the sin of mankind sin kills us literally the reason why we die is because of sin we can't go on for eternity in this state. God had to change the dynamics because of our embracing of sin and rebelling against God. And it's amazing. In the Old Testament, they would even make sacrifices for sins of omission, sins that they didn't even realize they committed. That's how serious sin is to God. He can't coexist for, it, for eternity with that. Sin left unchecked will send us into judgment, will send us before a holy God to judge us. Yes, hell is real. However, there is a cure. And that's Jesus Christ. Psalm 14, echoed in Romans 3, Old and New Testament, tells us that not one person is righteous. Any righteousness as Christians we may have comes from Jesus Christ. And later in Matthew 23, Jesus exposes the sin of hypocrisy of the religious system as we get later into the Gospels. So all this is in here. In Matthew 9, Matthew adds more to the conversation that Jesus has here in Luke 5. There's a lot of parallel conversations in the gospel. In Matthew 9, Matthew adds that Jesus said to the religious leaders, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Right? I mean, I have people today who say, well, I grew up in a religion or I'm part of this church or I left the church. They just were they were harsh. You know, they were... You know, always picking at me, and I felt when I came to church that I, I either wasn't wanted or I wasn't worthy. You know. So what the religious leaders did was they didn't show mercy to the people. And what the people did was their representation of God was through the religious leaders because they said, we represent God. So the people walked away from God and became prodigals, and maybe Levi was one of them because of the bad example of the religious establishment, the system. And Jesus was saying to them, you guys are harsh. Jesus is God, saying to men, you're doing it all wrong. And I came to love people. I came to show mercy. And and they didn't do that. And that was a sad thing. So he says, I desire mercy and not, I desire mercy over sacrifice. You know, just to give you a quick example is, and when you look in the news and the media, the media Collectively, uh, I'm painting with a broad brush. They're not fans of Christianity; they're fans of a lot of things, but they don't like Christianity. And there's a lot of philosophical reasons for that. So their version of Christianity is they'll put these these groups like the Westboro Baptist Church, which I consider a fringe group, more of a, a cult, that they picket funerals and they have these vulgar placards. Um, you know, they picket servicemen's funerals and. Talk, say really nasty things about homosexual people. Uh, and uh, that's what the media says. Well, this is Christianity. No, it's not. I would put them with the Pharisees. There's no mercy there. Are you people doing personal evangelism? Do you think anyone's going to come to Christ with your placards? Oh, yeah, that sounds like a loving God. Let me come there. No. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's what you have. But Warren Wiersbe says this. There's two types of people, tragically, that Jesus can't heal. Number one. The one who won't admit he is sick. And that was the religious establishment. They thought they were great. They thought they had God's favor. And he didn't. They were deceived. The second person is the one who will not trust Christ for the cure. And I look at that person as they just don't care about the afterlife. They're just having too much fun here. They're making too much money. Maybe a a Matthew situation where they're like, I'm not coming and following you. I'm making a fortune here. I don't want to ruin my lifestyle. I don't want... You know anything less than what I'm enjoying right now, and and I can tell you something. I respect that in a sense that, you know, that you're going to be judged in the end, and you just want to enjoy the the gamble with the 70 years you might have, 80, 90, if you're lucky. You know, they won't. They they know the truth, but they don't want to trust Christ for the cure because they're concerned about the ramifications that come along with it. Continue on, verse 33. Then they said to him. Jesus why do the disciples of John this is John the Baptist and and just real quickly here John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus he was almost like the last old testament prophet but he kind of comes into the new testament he's almost like this bridge and he shows the people listen there is sin and sin has to be dealt with oh and here's the lamb of god Jesus who comes to take away the sin of the world so why do we need Jesus because he's sweet, because we saw movies about him, he seems like a great guy to hang out with. No, we need Jesus because we're sinners. So John came as a prophet to pave the way, to say to the the establishment, the Romans, the Jews, the religious leaders, you guys are all sinners. He laid that framework, and then he said, oh, by the way, here comes Jesus. He came to take away those sins. So that's what's going on. So, John the Baptist now, Herod imprisons him and he ends up killing him. So John has a whole bunch of disciples and I liken it to, because I've seen this because I'm a beekeeper, where the queen, the queen leaves or the queen dies and all the workers, they're all meandering. They don't know what to do. They're all bumping into each other. They have no purpose. So John is taken by Herod. He's eventually killed and he's got a group of disciples. Some of them follow Jesus, which was a smart thing to do, which is what they should have done. Others are just kind of, looking around and some are here if we take all the gospels together they see what's going on they see that jesus is filled with joy and he enjoys people and then he sees the pharisees are angry and they they're nasty to people and john's disciples are like gee which one should we do and and they're trying to understand what's going on here so it says why do the disciples of john fast often and make prayers and likewise those of the pharisees but yours eat and drink And Jesus said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. Jesus is speaking about himself, by the way. He's speaking about himself. Now, culturally, feasts and parties and backyard events were very different 2,000 years ago in the Middle East than we are today. So today we have an event, we maybe have it in a hall, we have it in our yard, and our yard is fenced. We have it by invitation only, and it's understood that if you crash the event, then the police will probably be called and you'll be removed. I mean, that's how we do it here in, in our culture. Back then, it was very different. Um, the events were very open. Um, they were much more hospitable to strangers to check out at the events. So you have, and this is what they did, religious leaders walking around with their little microscope scrutinizing everybody. They had a problem with Levi's feast and Jesus and the disciples being there. You call yourself the Messiah? Well, why are you hanging out with these sinners? Jesus gives him the answer, okay? So the second illustration is Jesus likening himself to a bridegroom. First he's the physician, now he's the bridegroom or the groom as we would say it in American culture. And he's basically saying, I'm the Messiah. And he's signaling to them how they should watch him and emulate him. You know, Son of God comes down, second person of the Godhead. This is what he's doing. He's showing the way. And and this is what they need to do. They need to follow his example, not the example of the religious establishment. Let's, let's look at this for a second. So, the Pharisees, the scribes, John's disciples, they fast and they pray. What is this for? Okay. Some people think that praying is memorizing some words and just kind of saying it a bunch of times. Jesus tells us in the gospels that's not prayer. That's just memorizing a bunch of words and saying it over and over again. Yeah, but I use the name God in it, it doesn't matter. Prayer, according to Christ, is actually communicating with God. Is to talk to him and sometimes listening. Tell him your dreams, tell him your fears, tell him your what you've done wrong and why you need repentance. You know, it's a conversation. That's what prayers are. Fasting is a little bit more difficult for the lay person. Fasting is when you give something up. Usually people fast from food for a certain amount of time to deny the flesh to accentuate the spiritual. I want to hear from God. I really, I got this decision or I really want to take my, you know, my belief or my faith to the next step. And you, you might fast, right? You may do something like that. So prayers and fasting is what you would do to hear from God, and Jesus is basically saying, and I'm paraphrasing, hey guys, you're, you're, you're praying, you're fasting, you're somber, you're, you're contorting your faces. I'm right here, ask me, <laughs> right? God is saying, I'm, I'm right here. Jesus is also saying, enjoy me. Enjoy me. Look at me, I'm smiling, I'm having a good time. You know, when you're, when you're newly saved, I know for me, I watched all the Jesus movies, there probably was, you know. There was the somber Jesus. There was the pasty white Jesus. There was the, it was all kinds of Jesuses, right? There was one guy who portrayed Jesus as joyful. And that was my favorite representation of Jesus. Like even when he would, the lame person, he would take him by the hand and and he would lift him up and the guy was like gaining strength to his feet and he'd smile and Jesus would hug him and smile. And that's the way I look at Jesus, even when he did his miracles, even when he forgave the sins. He just was such a joyful Jesus. And why does Jesus use this illustration? Because when they had weddings back then, for us today, it would cost a fortune, by the way. Their weddings back then would last like a week. Could you imagine? <laughs> the food and the hall and, you know, the guests. And they, they would stay for a long time, sleep over and get up and just dance and sing and rejoice. And it just was such a neat time. So Jesus used this example purposely to show this is a joyous time. I'm here. I'm the groom. And the Bible tells us that, that Christ is the groom and the church collectively is his bride. Right? We see this in the scripture. So weddings then and now are, are to be joyful. I mean, who goes to a wedding with a bad attitude? You know, no one's going to sit with you. No one's going to dance with you. You know what I'm saying? You're going to be sitting all by yourself. So next time you go to a wedding, just try to get yourself into a good mood because weddings are supposed to be a celebration. And as Jesus was trying to say that, I'm here. It's, it's celebratory. And he basically says, the bridegroom, there will be days when he'll be taken from them and in those days they will fast. Magnificent. And what is he speaking about? It's crucifixion, right? Burial. He's resurrected. But he's only on the earth for 40 days. Great time to establish and solidify the church. Then he ascends into heaven. And what do the disciples do? They watch him go up. And they're just looking up at the sky. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. He's gone. You know? And he says in those days, they're going to fast and pray again because the Lord's not right there next to them. Next, I could imagine. Could you imagine Jesus all day long, up until eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock? The disciples like waking him up. Lord, are you sleeping? Hey, um, how many elephants are there in the earth? You know, just like stupid questions. Anything you wanted to ask him, they would probably always nudge him. No wonder why when he slept, he slept really good. We we see that in the scripture, even through storms, because probably it was like a stimulation overload. Everybody was asking him questions. Pretty cool stuff, isn't it? God is awesome last two illustrations have to do with Jesus trying to explain to them, these are the old ways. This is the old ways need, need to acquiesce to the new ways. So the third illustration is the, the unshrunk patch being put on an old torn garment. So verse 36, Jesus says, spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one or a patch. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. Jesus was trying to say in a nutshell, especially to those who who desired a a walk with the Lord, don't get stuck in the old ways. Don't get stuck in the quagmire of the old ways. You know, he was doing a new work, and he needed them them to to follow. You know, as human beings, can I tell you something? I like routine. I love routine. I don't like change. But God says, we're going to do this now. Really? I just was getting used to this. You got to come along with me, you know. Holy Spirit's going to be involved in this. And we could either stay in the old ways because it's comfortable or we could follow what the Lord says. You know, I can't tell you something. It's a, I've studied the brain for years. It's a brain thing. This organ in here, it, it loves routine. It makes pathways, it, the neuron connections. You know what I'm saying? It, sometimes we get a dopamine response from routine. The brain loves routine. But God has to transcend the body and say, you, no, you need to follow me. And if I'm in it, it's going to be good, you'll see. So let's look at this patch, and you know this if you've had a... Uh, well now everybody like everybody wears rip jeans because they're like in fashion. you know what I'm saying <laughs> they're kind of cool. But when I was a kid, you know we, we didn't have much, and you know you'd wear jeans and then they'd rip, and my mom would she, I remember this she'd put patches on them, and if she got one that wasn't a good one or they didn't, they said it was pre-shrunk and it wasn't, you know. is what happens. The fabric, right? The fabric goes through heating and cooling. It goes through washing and drying. It goes through sunlight. It goes through cold. And the fibers go through this dynamic process where over time they settle and they relax. Once they're relaxed, you know, they don't really move that much anymore. So now you develop a tear. So you take a patch and it's unshrunk, that patch is going to go through heating and cooling, washing and drying, sunlight and cold. It's going to go through its dynamic phases, and, but the rest of the pants that had the hole in it, is, it's calm, it's relaxed. It's like, what are you doing? And it just starts pulling, and I've seen this happen. And, and then it does, is the, the old garment's fragile, it starts tearing it again. So that patch did nothing but make the problem worse. Again, everybody underst- would have understood that in that you know, in that society, we understand it too. The old garment was really a picture of the old covenant, the old ways, the old tradition. And the old garment, at some point, was new, but it ran its course. And now it's an old garment. Old doesn't mean bad, it just means it ran its course. God decided that it was time to retire the old garment instead of Start putting patches on it. Jesus' ways were so dynamic, he was sort of like the patch that you wouldn't put on the old garment. You know, their ways of worship. Jesus came to change. Jesus embodied God, Jesus embodied grace. He actually took the law and fulfilled it in grace. Nobody understood that. We do now. We've been a Christian for long enough 2,000 years of Christianity, it's in there, it's in the scripture. So the two were incongruous, and they couldn't be put or forced to come together. Jesus Christ is not a patch job. He's a dynamic force of his own. He's the Son of God. You know, This is an amazing thing. Jesus fulfilling the law, fulfilling the Old Testament. How does that work? Okay, we know through Mosaic law, we know do not kill, do not steal, do not lie. Jesus said, even if you do it in your heart, and you think thoughts that are bad, that break the law, you're done. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's over. We go to come before God, and He has to judge us on our sins. We can't coexist as sinful flesh with a holy and righteous God. Okay, so Jesus comes, and He says the law of Moses is good. So Jesus, that woman caught in adultery, Just say the word and we're going to start slamming her with rocks. Whoa, 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 back off, guys. Which one of you is without sin? And furthermore, if she believes in me, if anybody believes in in Jesus, he's paid for that sin. So is the law still good? Yes. The law condemns. It's a mirror to see that we're sinners, that we're not perfect. But when Jesus came and he died on the cross, he took the sins of all mankind. Is the law still good? Yes. Does it still condemn? Yes. Yes. That's why Jesus was condemned on the cross. All of our sins, 2,000 years, no matter how long we live and humankind lasts and the Lord tarries, billions of people on the planet, he took those sins. It didn't destroy the law, it just fulfilled it. Jesus says, now I want to show grace. I paid the penalty. A holy God being having billions and trillions and quadrillions of sin dumped on him and dying as a result of the Father turning his head for that brief moment in time. He took our sins and He buried it. He destroyed it on the cross. So, is the law still the law? Yes. Does the law still condemn? Yes. Does, can the law still send to hell? Yes. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, that's all been paid for. It's all been washed away. Amazing, isn't it? Sometimes it's... Listen, the gospel's very simple. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life but it's also very deep at the same time the more you get into it. That's the gospel, folks. Believe in Jesus Christ today for the first time? Don't worry about those sins. I don't mean go out and wantonly sin. I just mean that your sins have been paid for. So the fourth illustration for this morning is the wine and the compatible wineskins that hold the wine. Now, I didn't... So let me just read this. Verse 37. (laughs) And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Just so you understand... Uh, back in the day, they didn't have rubber, they didn't have Tupperware, they didn't have plastics. So for liquids, they would use animal skins or animal organs, cleaned out, sewed together, and they would make these, you know, these kind of bladder things, and, and they would hold fluids, water, wine, whatever the case may be. Um, because God made us and animals elastic, right? Uh, so if the wine expanded because of the fermentation of the gases, new wine, the bladder or the skins or whatever would also expand and contract. So you could go through this with new wine, this process of expansion and contraction, and the bladder or the skins would move with that expansion and contraction. Right? And that's what you have. Now, if you look at this situation, you can really see, and we've seen these as pictures before in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is the picture of the wine. Dynamic, powerful, valuable. And the skins are the believer, the church, the local church. And really, the question is, are we flexible, right? What is God looking for? Chuck Smith said um, years ago, he said, blessed are the flexible for they shall not be broken. If we become so rigid as believers and we're not open to what God is doing, we break, you know? We need to be flexible. You know, I look at even churches, and and it's sad. I don't say this in a mean way. I I say it as as it's sad to watch. Like, you know, they'll say, well, you know, church worship teams should never have a guitar or the drums. It's from the devil. It's Really? A church should only have an organ. Didn't David speak about, the, the psalmist speak about the stringed instruments? So a guitar is a stringed instrument. Do some people use it for bad? Sure. Do some people use it for good? Sure. You know, looking at the old ways, looking, and and I've heard this, you know, the youth of today. You know how many times, how many generations say that? The youth of today, they're disrespectful, they're this, that, and what happens? You don't attract the youth. And then over time, the church is just filled with older people and as they pass away and no youth come in, the church dies. You know, so we can become so rigid in our thinking and so not open to what God is doing that we, we box ourselves out, right? Calvary Chapel, I think, needs to be careful, you know, after Pastor Chuck Smith died. What he did in the 60s with the the hippie generation was awesome. The Holy Spirit, that was new wine, right? Decades later, the Holy Spirit doesn't have to do the same thing he did in the 60s. People change, situations change, and God is always ahead of the curve. And we as pastors need to look at that and say, you know what, I want to do what God is doing, not just hold on to the past because we wrote books on it and we feel comfortable with it. We need to be those wine skins that expand with what God is doing instead of being rigid because otherwise the rigid skins are brittle. They lose their elasticity. They start to de- develop breaks with the new wine and all the wine spills out. It, the wine is ruined. You can't have it anymore. It's all over the ground. It's also ruined the skins. So it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I remember trying to help a pastor out who had all these seminary degrees and I don't. I'm not, it doesn't bother me any. The disciples didn't have seminary degrees. But he couldn't listen to me. He couldn't find himself to listen to me and to take my advice and help. And I would, it would have helped him because I didn't have all the degrees, you know what I'm saying? Lovey? Uh, and w- what happened was, it, you know it hurt him. It hurt him, because he was just so stuck. and well, when I went to we all, everybody went to seminary, and we also got, we all got masters of divinity, and, and people should just listen. You've got to be flexible. Remember, the old wineskins at some point started out new and eventually ran their course. Right? Now, here's the caveat. Always have a caveat. That we don't just accept something new because it's new. There's a lot of weird new ways that are coming out that are really against the Scripture. So all things the Bible says are to be tested. Remember, all this, this is a thinking person's faith. God gave us a big brain. He wants us to pray, he wants us to seek him, he also wants us to use common sense and balance. right? So all these things have to come together. Not everything that's new is good. Not everything that's old is archaic. Keep that in mind. Verse 39, I love this. Jesus says, And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. (laughs) God knows the human heart. And what does that say right there? What is Jesus saying? He's saying people don't like to change. Right? Do we like to change? No, we don't. But God says we need to be open to leave what we know and follow him to the next step. I actually do a better job in, in the church listening him, to him than in my material life. So just so you know, this wallet is 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> the dividers are all shot. The picture thing has got goo all over it, I don't know. I know my wife is laughing back there, because she knows me. I'll, I'll run a car until it just doesn't run anymore. I, I just finally got an iPhone, and I stood up here. I know that I have a few holdouts, Sam Turner, back there. <laughs> I know some of you still have the flip phones, and up until last year, I showed you that I had a flip phone. Stupid iPhones, man, they're just, sometimes they're confusing. But I don't like change. I'm going to keep this, when when I'm buried, put my old wallet in my pocket, you know what I'm saying? Because it's still going to be there, I'm telling you. Uh, (laughs) But we don't like change. But when it comes to the things of God, we have to be open to change. Because God is just so, see, the God that I serve is not stale and I'm bigger than him and I put him in a box. He's so much more grandiose than me that I just, I just got to follow him. How many times did the disciples follow Jesus? They didn't know where he was going. They didn't know what he was doing. They didn't know why he did stuff. We went through the Gospels, folks, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Half the times they were perplexed. They were confused. Peter would say things in protest, and protest. They didn't know what he was talking about. You know, what do you, it's like, I think they were probably a little bit, was fear. They didn't know what Jesus was doing. He's asleep at the bottom of the boat and there's a storm. We're going to die. They, could you imagine saying to Jesus, we're going to die. He didn't go to the cross yet. You're not going to (laughs) die. But this is God. He's awesome. And it's just, I just say this, enjoy the ride. Strap yourself in, take a deep breath and enjoy the ride. That's the God that I serve. So that today's sermon title is keeping it fresh. Back then, it was stale. The people were stuck in their old ways. But Jesus uses these illustrations to open their minds to what he was going to do as the Son of God come to earth. Today, we have to keep the same mindset about what the Holy Spirit is doing in ministry, what he's doing in the church. You know, I mean, even every year, sometimes you know, we look at these ministries that we're involved in or the outreaches, and sometimes we change them because we think that God's going in a different direction. We have to be open to that. Many get stuck in the old ways of denominationalism, you know, or or church party loyalty. No, it's not there. David Guzik said this, he says, the epitaph on the tombstones of many dead churches reads, quote, well, we never did it that way before. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) He said it, not me. But I thought that was great. And I'll save the best for last personal ministry, our personal lives, that we need to be open to change. The thing that we love the most is routine and despise the most many times is change. But a lot of times, that's how God does his new work. That's how he keeps it fresh. You know, well, that's just me. I can't change. I don't say that because God will do something and he'll be like, yeah, watch this, (laughs) I've seen it happen, but that we just continue to be those new wineskins, that we continue to pray, that we continue to listen to God, that we continue to go into his word because many times that's where he speaks to us. That's why he left it. Oh, that we would be open to the things of God in our lives and that we would keep it fresh. Let's pray.